Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. It's playoff time, and who better to talk to than the CEO of the Ringer, Bill Simmons. Hey, what's up, Bill? How are you? I'm excited. You sound excited. I read your MVP column this morning. <laughs> I read your MVP column this morning, and James Harden, huh? Yeah. It it took a while to get there. It, I really thought, I don't think this was the best MVP race ever, but I definitely thought it was the most polarizing and it was the most entertaining. And, you know, what was great was every candidate was flawed in some way. There was, there was a really good reason to pick against each one. And I think that's why people had so much trouble with it. I think Westbrook's going to win. I didn't pick him. Uh, spoiler alert, I picked James Harden. I just thought the more I looked at it and broke it down and stared at it from every direction, uh, you know, if you're betting, if if you're picking Russ as the MVP, you're picking him because of offense, basically, and of, of the impact of what he did this season and the performance art of it, which I get. But I just think Harden was just better offensively. He, he put up basically the same stats. Yeah, I think he averaged a 29, 11, and 8. And Russ was at 32, 11, and 10. So he was like 94% of what Russ's stats were. But he took like 400 less shots, you know? And I really did think he made his teammates better. And that was a team that, going into the season, people thought were going to be a 500 team. They thought Harden was a mess. I mean, I didn't even vote for him for any of my All-NBA teams last year. I thought he was turning into a DH. He had a very strange season. And then he goes in, he plays point guard, learns how to do that. He basically does Nash's son. He, he, they take whatever Nash was doing in the mid-2000s and they bring it to a whole other level. And he was just fantastic, and he made everyone on his team better. They had the second-best offense in the league. And if you go by offensive rate, it was the 10th best offense of all time. You know, it was a really significant season. I think it got lost a little bit because people really fell in love with the triple doubles and everything that Russ was doing, which I get. But Russ was, that was the 17th offense in the league. And, you know, they won eight less games than Houston. So unless you're just saying I lost because of the triple double, because that was amazing and that's the reason I'm voting for him. There's really no other case. It has to be either Harden or if you're going to go advanced metrics, then it's Kawhi. If you're just going wins, uh, efficiency, two-way play, you go Kawhi. I, I couldn't even come close to getting there. Uh, but if, if unless you're saying the triple-doubles were amazing, that's why I'm voting for Russ, it has to be Harden, I think. I also, well, I, here's, here's what I would tell you. I don't buy the whole Houston was supposed to be totally average. I get the Vegas odds, whatever. I thought losing Kevin Durant that Oklahoma City was going to be terrible. So that's where that's where I like break away. I thought that, and I don't buy the whole their supporting cast is a lot better than we give it credit for. I think their supporting cast is terrible. Outside of Oladipo, I don't I don't care about any of them. Adams is an eleven and seven guy who everybody seems to love. Um, Enos Cantor couldn't even be like you couldn't even play him in the playoffs. I get they added Todd and and uh, and and McDermott, but that was late. I don't I don't think I thought I thought they were going to be the terrible team, Oklahoma City. I thought the Durant thing was a was a death blow. And the other thing is I know that they all had great offensive seasons in Houston, 
but we're giving Harden all this credit for it. Like another major thing happened there, which is they got a new coach who, by the way, almost everybody that's played for him has had these ridiculous offensive seasons. We've seen that. So how how much impact is it really that they played in for Wait, Mike D'Antoni? Hold on, hold on. Wait a second. Wait a second. D'Antoni flamed out in New York and Los Angeles. I, I don't think that's true, the the, uh, the everybody who puts up stats. Nash put up huge stats. Jeremy Lin put up huge for like four weeks. And that, nobody put up huge stats. Well, it just so happens. It, 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 it just so happens to be the two guys that play point guard for him? Like that's that's a that's a coincidence. Well, he's been on four. He's been on four teams, and two guys have been fantastic for him. So I don't know if you could say everybody, but going back to the OKC thing for a second, I thought they were going to be good this year. I like the team. I really like Adams. I, I put this in the piece. Like we came out of the playoffs last year, people loved Adam. You know, I, I think SA that those, those sites that the stupid where they rank every player's. They rank, they rank all the players from 500 to 1 and all that stuff. Like, you, like you can rank guys like that. But uh, I think Adams was like 36th in the SI thing. I, I came out of the playoffs last year thinking he was the best young center in the league. I really let go of Depot. Depot was a guy, his second pick in the draft. I think he was 17 a game in Orlando. He's basically the exact same guy in OKC. They never went to him. The only time he really got... Us was out of the game, or if Russ had shot so many times in a row that Oladipo got to shoot one. I, I just don't think. I, I think they made a concerted effort thing in the Russ basket, really at the expense of some of the other guys' team. I like Sabonis in college. Why was he so bad in the pros? Um, Ilyasova. They traded Ilyasova after three games. Everyone's like, where's the shooting on this OKC team? Well, why'd they trade Elias over then? They traded him basically to save money for three months. That's the, that's the stuff I don't get when people say, this was, oh my God, he dragged this supporting cast. Their over-under in Vegas was 45 and a half. How did I bet the over? We thought they were going to win 50 games. You know, they were lucky to win 47. He he made some some uh, end-of-the-game shots. They really could have been 43 and 39. And they were behind just a ton. How many times was that team behind 15, 16 points in games in the third and fourth quarter? I thought the way they were playing just didn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't think you can really, really succeed when one guy has the ball that much. This is why, why I wrote that Westbrook piece last month. When somebody has the ball that much, it hurts everybody else. And that's the thing with Harden for me is he put up almost the same amount of stats, but everybody else got 400 more shots. You know, Westbrook took 400 more shots than everybody else in the league. That has no translation of ever succeeding at a high level in the history of the NBA. It just never worked. I guess, and this is where uh, this is where you break apart, right? Like either, like you thought Oklahoma City was going to be good. I didn't. I did not. I I do think he right. told. I think he totally dragged them to the amount of wins that they have. And I guess it's just if you have if you have breaks in opinion, like I don't. I don't get it with Steven Adams. They just played 82 games. They He averaged 11 points and 7 rebounds. Like, Marcin Gortat averaged 10 and 10. Is he one of the great centers in the world? Like, I, I, maybe he is. I don't know. But, like, I I, I don't know. Well, hold, on, I, hold on, though. Hold on. If you put Steven Adams on OKC, on uh, Houston, and he's in that Harden's offense in the uh, in the Capella-Dene-Harrell role, 
and he's just screen rolling and getting lobs and stuff like that, I think he would have been great. I actually think he's better than all three of those guys. I think that and I he's think a better that, defensive player. What happens is I there needs to be like a, a name for this, right? You've you've uh you have famously come up with names for different types of guys for years and years. Like maybe like the the Gary yeah. Neal the Gary Neal All Stars or something, right? And Correct. the guy the guys that get this massive bump in perception because they happen to be playing with superstars and they're on TV all the time. That's where I am on Adams. Because I this all happened with Ibaka. Everybody was like, oh, he's one of the great power forwards in the league. And if he wasn't playing with Durant and Westbrook, imagine what he could do. And, like, again, okay, now we saw what he could do. They went and spent a billion dollars on him why, Orlando. This is why it's such a good MVP race, because I don't know if there's a right answer to some of this stuff. I yeah. like OKC's supporting cast more than other people do. I think Westbrook took too many, too many shots. Other people think he took the right amount. I, I I keep coming back to um, when I look at Houston, I look at OKC, and I just look at the 2 through 12 guys. It's either pretty even or, you know, depending on Houston has more three-point shooters, OKC has more defense and rebounding. Um, the eight wins is pretty significant. And I still think that the way Westbrook played – I'm not, I, I'm just, I think they knew going into it how it was going to play out, and I don't think they cared. I, I think they were like, from day one when Durant left, the narrative had to be, this is Westbrook's MVP season. And by the way, that's great. That's a really smart way to play it, because the Durant thing was one of the most painful departures in the history of the league. Um, but I, I don't think they ever, they ever went through this season trying to win the title. You know, or trying to say be be like what we're doing is going to translate to final success. They knew they knew this was an MVP run for Westbrook. I think what Houston, I, I think Houston's like a dark horse finals candidate. I, I look at the West. I know we're going to talk about the playoffs. I, I don't think I, I think Golden State's just so far ahead of everybody else. But Houston, to me, is the one team, even though they did terrible against Golden State this year. Houston's the one team that could get lucky against them a couple times and maybe get it to a game six or a game seven because they're making threes because Harden's such a tough guy to guard. Um, they, you know, I, I just think the team that could potentially upset Golden State is a team that's just going to have to make threes and make 15 to 22 threes a game and swing it that way because you're not going to beat them conventionally. All right, let me ask you this because, and we could do a million hypotheticals, but the Clippers won seventy percent of their games when Chris Paul was in the lineup. Let's say he never yep. misses a game, and they do win that many. That would get, and and they stayed on that pace. They'd have been third. They'd have been behind San Antonio, right, with seven with the seventy yep. percent win percentage. If Houston's fourth, if he never gets hurt, and Houston's fourth, do you think he still gets your vote? Well, but I, I think the durability is part of it. I, I think what one of the things that made Harden and Westbrook so special this year was the fact that they played every game and they took just an insane amount of punishment. You know, to go to the free throw line 10 to 11 times a night on top of everything else you're doing and carrying the offense and the mental weight of just night after night after night. This is, to me, this is the case for Westbrook. It, 
the relentlessness that he had, I've just never seen anything like it. I've never seen anybody try his absolute basically for 82 games. I mean, he's out of his mind. Um, but, you know, you look at the Clippers, Chris Paul is not durable. He keeps getting hurt. How many injuries has the guy had? Big Griffin keeps getting hurt, you know? And, no, and no, I'm just talking about durability. record. I'm just, I'm just talking about if Houston know, had the fourth best record. Right. But if my if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle. The Clippers, the two things that we know about them is that they keep getting dumb injuries and they keep self-combusting at the end of games. I don't trust this team at all in big moments. And, you know, where they landed as the record, that's great. I mean, part of it is that Chris Paul didn't have to play 82 games and he didn't have to have that grind of the season. I think if, if he had played 82 games, I don't know if his record – is as good as it is. I I went to a few Clips games this year. I did see some attrition with Chris. I know the stats don't totally reflect it, but like there was one game I went to when they played Washington, and he went toe to toe with John Wall for about a quarter and a half. And then John Wall's youth and athleticism and explosiveness just kind of took over. And Chris Paul couldn't stay in front of him. Chris Paul was probably the best defensive point guard in the league for seven, eight years. He had no chance to stand in front of John Wall. I think that Clippers team, to me, is is a house of cards. I mean, I, they played really well against Utah this year, and that's a team that they should beat in the series. I could see it falling apart. I really could. I mean, I, two weeks from now, we could be talking about Doc Rivers taking that Orlando GM job, which I think is a real possibility. And then you talk about Blake and and Chris Paul is free agents. That's the team of all these, the top seven, eight seeds. That's the team that that might just look completely different next year. All right, last thing on the MVP. I'm going to throw a conspiracy yeah. theory. A bill. Uh, this this is a conspiracy theory involving you from the outside looking in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> bill Simmons uh, talked to uh, a lot of different people to make up his MVP mind. You talk to Chuck Klosterman, right? And he was big on the Westbrook thing. You talk to Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor uh, wrote at the beginning of the season, he had James Harden as his pick. So he had stock in it. You talk to Joe House, one of your best friends. House probably has money on it. So I, I, no, House they, they did have money on it. House okay. not Harden. Okay, so his he, he can call everybody a basketball pervert. His opinion is intensely polluted. And then your most famous basketball guest that you did podcast with is literally Westbrook's arch enemy. So if your opinion is your your your, your team Kevin Durant, you got Joe House right. who's got money all over wait, it. Wait, and then why am I team Kevin Durant? <laughs> Hold on, because now now you're saying I would do a vote that that didn't have good intentions, which is a character question, which is going to make me mad if if you're being serious. I, I I always try to do the right vote. I've okay. I've had. Uh, I've been doing awards comps since 2004. I've always tried to come to the right decision with it. It's actually important to me because when I was doing my basketball book, uh, which is really about the history of the league and trying to figure out what was legitimate and what wasn't and what narratives were false, what narratives were real and all that stuff, the All-NBA and the MVP votes and stuff like that was the best track record for who mattered and who didn't during a season. So in my mind, like I tried to stick, I tried to stick to all the all the same decisions that I made in the past, and all the little factors and indicators I used, 
to try to figure out who matters this season. And the Westbrook case, like, I voted for a similar type of Westbrook situation in 06. I picked Kobe to win the MVP in 06, who was my least favorite basketball player at the time and played in my least favorite style, which is basically off the ball. But in that case, like, there was no better candidate. There was no better choice. And his teammates were awful. I mean, if you think OKC's team was kind of subpar this year, like, holy shit. I mean, Smush Parker, um, <laughs> Slava Benson, I don't even remember who was that team. I remember Smush Parker started. OKC's <laughs> team was better than that. And Hart, I, I, I don't think... I don't think people realize how good Harden's season was. I really don't. I mean, when you have the ten, one of the ten best offenses of all time, and you lead the league in assists and you're second in points, when you create more points than anyone in the history of the league except for Tiny Archibald, when your team's a title contender, to me it just made the most sense. I actually I really wanted to vote for Kawhi. Kawhi to me was like, like, oh man, I want to reward the guy who's on the best team. I want to talk myself into this, and I just couldn't get there. I didn't feel like it was a strong enough case. And the guy who left it on the table was LeBron James because, you know, if they get to like 56, 57 wins, I think he wins the MVP. I think people would have been excited to vote for him. I would have been excited to vote for him. It would have been like, you know, the one last MVP before his career turns into whatever the next direction is. But that team just fell apart. To go 23-23 and 23 in the last 46, it's, it's just inexplicable. But just with LeBron and Kyrie alone, that should be 50 wins guaranteed. The other thing with Westbrook, one more thing on that. Um, I, what do you think, if you have a great player, if you have like really literally one of the best players in the league and somebody who can generate a ton of offense on his own, the history of the NBA says, especially if it's a perimeter guy, you should win between 43 and 45 games, right? Mm-hmm. That's every guy that, you know, whether it's T-Mac in Orlando, Gilbert Arenas in Washington, who wasn't as good as Westbrook was this season, but he's going down to Kobe in 2006, uh, Michael Jordan in the late 80s. You go on down the line, it's always somewhere between, I don't know, 43 and 46 wins, something like that. And Westbrook got 47. So it's, it's, I, I, it's kind of what you would expect, right? Like if we put Gilbert Arenas on this OKC team, put 2006 Gilbert Arenas, would they be 42 and 40? 43 and 39? I don't know. What do you think? No way. No way. 39 and 43? Well, like I read all the, I, I read all the, like my honestly, my head started to hurt reading the Kevin Pelton advanced analyst. Like he did all the, the VORP and the war and the all this baloney, and and what he came up with at the end was that there is like this is like statistically the value added slash wins added to Westbrook because I was very surprised he landed on Westbrook because he is stats guy right. And he did it right. with all with all those advanced stats, frankly, that were that are difficult to understand. I don't understand all the formulas, whatever. I just end up reading it like, oh, okay. He added the most value, he added the most wins. That's why Pelton's going with him, whatever. And I don't really know how you come to the conclusion. I don't understand all of it, but whatever. But I think, you know, at least with those numbers, as I ended up reading it, that Westbrook is adding more wins than anybody. And in fact, 
adding more wins to his team's ledger. I mean, like there's like there's ways to compute this, right? Where they have looked throughout yeah. history, where they have looked. So, if I'm just gonna concede to that, something of which I don't necessarily understand all that completely, then I would say, no, we discount how many wins he adds to this, and you can't just throw in another guy because we have there's at least some there's at least some people out there that are doing measurements for that and telling us that historically he is adding more value, more wins than almost anybody in other seasons. I don't know. Which guy would you rather play with? Um, it depends on... I would rather play in Mike D'Antoni's system. I wouldn't want to play with James Harden last year. That's so, a great point. Right? I mean, I would That's another thing. Like, the, the Harden's comeback, the the him from where he was last year, when I think all of us kind of gave up on him a little bit, to what we saw this year was was a pretty magical transformation. He was the second MVP, second uh, second place finisher in MVP in 2015, mm-hmm. and last year was just off the map and looked like he didn't give a shit. So what he did this year and the fact that he basically took, you know, think about it this way: Nash won two straight MVPs running that Phoenix offense that we all loved. He was putting up like 18 and 11 every game. And and Harden's putting up 30 and 11 every game. And the, and the offense is actually probably a little more efficient than that Phoenix offense was. I mean, we thought that Phoenix offense was like a revelation 10 years ago. They took that to a whole other level. So, you know, the, the Harden, it's it's not a, not a flimsy pick by any means. I can see any of the three. Like I, I really don't hate any of the picks. I read I Zach's pick, Zach picked Kawhi. I was like, that's fine. I wouldn't pick him, but I get it. Kawhi's the best two-way player in the league, and his team won sixty-two games, and and he's freaking awesome. I got. Um, I, I have, I have no anyway. problem with any of them either. And I was just messing with you earlier about the guys that all tried to sell you on <laughs> James Harden. Let me ask you one quick thing about the LeBron thing, because yeah. it does feel like his greatness is held against him. I think we all admit that. Um, if it's anybody else that, and and I'll even say with the wins, let's say uh, he's going to average like twenty six nine and nine or close to right. If Jimmy Butler yeah averaged twenty six nine and nine, same amount of wins, and the Bulls are the two seed, don't you think there's a lot of people that are really fighting for Jimmy Butler? But the fact that we expect so much from LeBron, his team. And you know he's done it all before. That that all really hurts him. If we just assigned his numbers and success level to a different player, that it would be a totally different story, and we would view it rather differently. Because the numbers are crazy. I don't know if I totally agree. Because I think the, the, my problem with LeBron was that they have Kyrie Irving too, you know, and they have Kevin Love, and I know they had a ton of injuries, and I know they lost their depth on their bench and stuff like that, but. It's just hard for me to believe that a team that had LeBron and and Kyrie all year and got 60 games out of love could only win 50 games in the East. Like, to me, that team underachieved. I don't understand what the hell happened. So that team to go 23-23 over 46 games is crazy to me. It's mystifying. Kyrie and LeBron by themselves should be a 52-win 50, team. <laughs> we were going to put 
eight replacement players with them. Kyrie is incredible. I don't understand why that team's not better. And I, and, you know, I think we really have to start looking at not just the chemistry, but you know, Ty Lue and some of the decisions they're making. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how you could just fall apart like that, unless, unless, uh, I don't know, unless that bench is even worse than I thought. I don't know. I don't get it. Or it might just be two straight finals runs. And Maybe. So, it's yeah. hard to do the, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard. In hockey, usually the team that wins the Stanley Cup, it takes so much out of them that they suck next year. And in basketball, it seems like the third year, if you have two straight finals trips, that third year is the one that you really start feeling it, really start feeling the lumps of those 200-game seasons. But, you know, LeBron still has it in him. That, that's why you can't sleep on them in the uh, in all the finals, right? He did it last week in Boston. He turned it on. He put the switch on. And he's still the best player in the league when he wants to be. You know, that's that's the best thing about his MVP case. It's like his ceiling is still the highest of anybody we have. I don't think anybody I, – I, I, nobody is going to greatly regret their MVP vote. This has been a great year with like three – at least three or four just totally unbelievable seasons. Quick word from our sponsor. Today's show brought to you by HBO. J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film. Grammy-nominated hip-hop star's second HBO special debuts tomorrow at 10 to 11 Eastern time. This exclusive presentation is a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. The special showcases songs from the fourth album, as well as revealing footage containing the heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the South. Traveling through different cities gathering interviews, Cole reveals the challenges lower-income residents face trying to obtain viable housing, as well as the frustration for felons being banned from voting. Providing a platform for subjects who feel their stories have not been heard. J. Cole's album, For Your Eyes Only, was released in December 2016, debuting at number one and selling almost half a billion units in the first week. Tune in tomorrow, HBO, 10 to 11 Eastern Time, the premiere of J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film exclusively on HBO. Uh, all right, let's burn through the playoffs. Uh, let's go to the East first. Boston plays Chicago. You were worried about who Boston's first-round opponent is going to be. Uh, they split the se- season series with Chicago 2-2. On a scale of 1-10, to 10, how scared are you with the Bulls? One. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. Fred Oiberg's not winning a playoff series. I feel free to put this. If, if the Bulls beat the Celtics, feel free to run this clip in some sort of mixtape for the rest of my life. But I'm not, I'm not worried about Fred Hoiberg and the Bulls. I'm just not. I was genuinely, literally, legitimately worried of Miami. I, I thought Miami would have been the scariest eight seed since the 07 Warriors um, and one of the scariest eight seeds of all time. And actually kind of ridiculous that they would have been an eight seed because to, to basically finish the season 30 and 11 and be the eighth seed is unprecedented. I've never heard of such a thing. It's a terrible matchup for Boston. Whiteside always kills the Celtics. Dragic always kills the Celtics. Got yeah, you got Waiters Island in there. Bunch of swing guys. It's just a bad matchup. Every Miami Boston game that I watched this year made me nervous. So I think they really dodged a bullet with that one. I thought Indiana and Chicago were just not even in the same classes. 
Miami, Miami. I, I'd be so bummed out if I was a Miami fan. Miami, if you're a Miami fan, you had to genuinely think you had a chance to 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 make a run. That team was good. They were thirty and eleven. That's not a small sample. No, that's a sixty win pace. That's not. That's not like we got hot for a couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if that team would have won fifty-five or sixty games. That's it's it's insane to think about now. I think uh, the Chicago Indiana combo is pretty bad. Portland, it's too bad they're playing Golden State because I like the way Portland was playing, especially if Nurkic comes back. Lillard went to a whole other level after the All Star break, and uh, and they're dangerous. Like. That's a series where Golden State's going to be Portland, but Portland could get hot for two games. Like that series could go six. Who knows? I could Golden State could also sweep them, but I would be shocked if if the Bulls beat the Celtics. They, they the recipe for what to do against the Celtics they didn't really practice. The one X factor would be if Jimmy Butler just lost his mind and had a monster, 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 crazy series, which isn't inconceivable. But I don't see it. Cleveland, Indiana. Is there any chance? Cleveland has a big problem with Indiana. No. No. I don't think Indiana's good, do you? No. And I didn't think, you know what? I mean, I guess there's there's this sentiment that like a lot's changed over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, George went into this supernova mode. He went from like averaging 21 to like 28 and put the team on his back. And evidently, he's super happy about Lance Stevenson being back and all this crap. But I saw them in person, I don't know, a little less than a month ago, and they didn't even like talk to each other. And they just yeah, they, were, they, they just yeah. quit in a in, in a game that I was at, they just quit. They just stopped playing and nobody was talking to each other and it was just a it was a bizarre mix that I felt like they had no chemistry and Paul George was bitching after every single game about them. So but evidently something's changed over the last couple of weeks. I don't know. I'm not buying it. <laughs> and I'm with you. I think first chance, first chance that team sold would be would be my bet over Paul George deciding to uh, match with LeBron. I also like who guards who guards uh, who guards Kyrie on that team. Don't get me wrong. I think I think Cleveland is dying to be beaten by the right team. All the signs are there. Defensively, they just stink. And the the one thing we've learned over the years with the on off switch is. You can flip the on-off switch on, but defense has to be involved. You know, they, I think a good example is the, the 2010 Celtics, which had a similar really shitty last 50 games. I think they were like 25 and 25. But they were able to flip the switch on in the playoffs, and the reason that they were able to do it was because KG was there. KG was one of the best defensive forwards of all time. And Paul Pierce knows where to go and what to do. And Rondo's a good athlete. And Perkins is there. Like they had pieces to play good defense. I don't see the pieces with Cleveland for good defense. LeBron can fly around and do this whole thing, but even in that Boston game, um, when they when they kind of made everyone think, "Oh yeah, here here are the Cavs. Oh, they still have it." Like they won that game because of offense, not defense. They had a huge second quarter and they made a lot of shots. I don't. I'm not convinced that they can get stopped. And even if you go back to last year, in uh, in Game Seven when they beat the Warriors. Um, if you really go back carefully and watch the last six minutes of that Warriors game, it's not like Cleveland was getting stops. Like, like Golden State just missed shots. They missed wide-open shots. You can make a montage of shots of either that were just terrible shots they shouldn't have taken or wide-open shots that they missed. So, you know, 
I, I think it's going to be a real challenge for them to, over the course of four rounds, um, keep winning and winning and winning without having a defensive switch that they don't seem to have. So to make a long story short, I don't, I don't trust Indiana. All right. Toronto, Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee's been kind of hot here at the end of the season. Got Middleton back. They've been playing really well. Uh, any chance Toronto has a problem with Milwaukee? I really like this Toronto team. I, I, I think they're, they're built for a few playoff rounds. Here's the catch, though. It always makes me nervous if the team that I don't think is going to win also has the best player in the series. And there's a chance Giannis could be the best player in the series. I think Toronto's built, you know, they're just deep. One of the things I like about them is they, they have different types of lineups they can do. They have a defense lineup. They have an offense lineup. They go big. They go small. They have different guys at the end of the game who can score. I think that's what is ultimately going to make them win this one. But I, I think this is going to be a good series. I like this Milwaukee team. I, I think, I think uh, you know, the fact that they only got 80 games combined out of Middleton and Jabari, and they still were able to pretty comfortably get in the playoffs, is a pretty good time for them. Do you think Toronto's got the best shot of beating Cleveland? I do. I think, I think you know, I just think they're better than the Celtics. You know, I probably watched more Celtics this year than any season since maybe 08. Uh, I just really enjoyed the team. It's a really flawed team. And it's a team that, you know, if they're not making threes, is in just a shitload of danger. Isaiah, teams have, over the second half of the season, teams kind of figured out not how to stop Isaiah, but at least how to get in his way a little bit and how to keep him from going off and, just making it difficult for him, and, and you know the smarter teams were picking him up basically over half court with two guys. They chip him on picks. They chip him anytime he's going to land. They knock him down. And I, I have a lot of a lot of hesitation about thinking that he's going to be able to last at a high level for three rounds. And then you just look at how Toronto matches up with Boston. Like Boston's never been able to guard the Rosen. Kyle Lowry kills them. They're big. Valanciunas is probably the team he's had the most success against. P.J. Tucker's a stopper. Um, it's just a bad matchup. And the Celtics are pretty easy to figure out. If they're not making 38 to 40% of their threes against a good team, it's really hard for them to win. They're just not good enough. All right. So then you said you don't think the Celtics are going to have a problem with Chicago. What about the winner of right. Washington-Atlanta, which I'll assume you think is going to be the Wizards? I don't know what to think anymore. Atlanta to me is is the crazy guy at the bar that you kind of steer clear from. You know, like <laughs> they might get swept, they might beat you, they might hit twenty five threes in a game, might might decide to start trying. Dennis Schroeder, who I, I don't even think is very good, might just all of a sudden turn into German Jeff Teague. Uh, Millsap can go off in a, in a certain game and just take you out. That team scares me. It's it's just they're a wild card. They've killed the Celtics in Atlanta. They you know they've really 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 uh, turned it on against them, and that's not a great matchup for the Celtics. Washington is also not a great matchup for the Celtics because of their size. You know because there's nowhere to hide Isaiah with Beal and with uh, with John Wall. You, you basically have to put him on Otto Porter and hope he doesn't kill you. Porter hasn't played as well since. 
the All-Star break, but Ubre is somebody that, you know, if Ubre's out there with Wall and, uh, and Beal, where do you put Isaiah? Where do you put Isaiah is the dilemma of the Celtics. There's no way, you know, he's five foot seven. There's no one for him to guard. And it's not like they have, you know, 2009 Dwight Howard protecting the rim or even DeAndre Jordan. Like, they're, they're, they're just not built that way. So the teams that have two guards that can attack, both of whom have size or strength or whatever, those are the teams that really hurt the Celtics. I I think it's a round-by-round round thing. I would not be shocked if the Celtics lost in five games in round two to either of those teams. Wow. I don't, why are you so down on the Celtics? They got the number one team. Not, I get the whole hiding Isaiah thing, but damn, man, it's worked out for – for 82 games, they were able to figure it out. You just think in the playoffs, it becomes too heightened and the team's going to expose it worse than they do on a regular basis during the regular season. I, I'm not down on the Celtics. I, I just, I've watched them all year. I know, I know what their limitations are. I think the East sucks. I think that's the, that's the best <laughs> case you can make for them is that whatever team makes the finals, we're all going to be scratching our heads going, wow, they made the finals? Jesus. What happened there? How'd that happen? So I think that's the best case for them. I think the other thing that's going to be really important for them, except for when they play Cleveland, because LeBron doesn't care where he plays, but I think the home crowd's going to be awesome. You know, that that Celtics crowd loves this team. It's going to be super loud. They're going to be able to push them, especially defensively at New Heights. I, I think a couple of things happen with the Celtics. Marcus Smart just basically stopped making shots. Uh, Olenek stopped making threes about two months ago. They have Amir Johnson and Jonas Jericho who really shouldn't be in the rotation of a one seed under any circumstances. And then Jalen Brown, who really seemed like he was coming on there for a while, um, just tailed off. And I don't know if you can trust him in the playoffs either. So when you start going down the line of this like 10-man rotation that's going to be deep and really help them, I don't trust half the guys. I love Marcus. Marcus will go 0 for 7 in a game and take the biggest three of the game. Like, he just doesn't give a shit. I, that's fine if it's game 50, but, in, in, you know, if it's game, game five of the playoffs and they're down 3 to 1 and Marcus starts shooting with 50 seconds left, like, that's why it's so hard to trust the Celtics team. But, you know, if, uh, if you look at the line, when they have their five guys that they've started, like the best five guys that they have, that starting lineup, the numbers on it are really good. And I think that's the best case for it is when they have the Horford, Crawford, Bradley, uh, Isaiah, and uh, I can't remember the fifth guy. But would it, would it be a, there's one lineup where it's like whenever they play this lineup and they're together and they're healthy, I think Smart's the fifth guy. But whatever that lineup is, that's been a really, really good plus minus, all that stuff lineup. So, you know, I do think they, what's, what's weird is I do think they could beat Cleveland. They match up really well against the Cavs for for as strange as that sounds. Like, you know, especially how bad the Cavs are defensively. Like, that's a team they could upset. But I, I think Toronto to them is that's the team I can't imagine them beating. Are you mad now that they didn't make a deal? Yeah, I am. I think they made it. I felt like they made a mistake in February. I understood the reasons behind it. That Golden State was a juggernaut, and you weren't getting by Cleveland anyway. I get all of it, but. One of the reasons you go the other way on it is who knows? You never know what's going to happen in a season. And they were close, and they did have a chance to get, you know, top two seeds. And 
in my opinion, you got to make, you have so many assets and you have so many fringe first round picks, second picks, and the two guys who stashed last year. I'm not saying that trade, but everyone keeps focusing on, oh, they should have traded for Jimmy Butler and all this stuff. It's like, forget that. Like, just get PJ Tucker. Get, uh, get, get Bogdanovich. Get Ilyasova. Ilyasova would play 30 minutes a game on this team. You know, that's, that's what I didn't get. It's, they had two spots that they knew they had to upgrade. Jericho and, and Amir Johnson have to upgrade those spots. Can't have those guys in a rotation in a playoff series. How did and they not they get did, did the one that stands out to me is how did they not get Nerland? So Philly didn't want to trade Nerland to the Celtics is what it came down to. From what I understood, uh, they just asked for like A.B. Bradley and a number one pick. Like some crazy. Here's what it would take. You know, and it was just they had no interest in trading Nerland. But Ilya Sova is somebody that, you know, they, that, I, I, I still don't understand why OKC traded him, but um, that's, that's one where I'm like, man, even, even Ilya Sova would have really helped. Ilya Sova's been good on Atlanta. Atlanta has, you know, five guys, five swingmen type shooter guys that in any given game, all of a sudden they start making your threes. They're like, wait, who the fuck's that guy? Is that guy in their team? When did they go there? You know, they have like six of those guys. All right, so we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have a great feel. I think Washington's going to beat Atlanta, but I, I'm with you. It's a total wild card. But of the top three seasons. I would pick, yeah, I would pick Washington in that one. But it, the problem with Washington is their best lineup sucks defensively. Because their best lineup is when Bogdanovich is out there. But that, you can, he has nobody to guard. So you can, you can torch them. Their defense, since that trade, even though their offense is silly went up, their defense is, is uh, I, I think they're very vulnerable. Okay, so then the the one that you think of of the top three seeds, if anybody is to have a big problem with their opponent, you think it's going to be it's feasible that Toronto could have a problem with Milwaukee, but you don't think that Boston or Cleveland's going to have big problems with their first round opponent. Yeah, you agree with me on Milwaukee? It's just a weird team. Yes, they, they guys at weird length. Yes, they're just unconventional, and they're athletic. Very very and, hard to match up with. Very hard and fearless. You yeah. know, and Giannis is really, really great. I mean, I had Giannis second team All NBA. I thought he was the third best forward in the league this season, even though he's playing point guard half the time. But and everything's uh, weird about him, right? They've got the awesome rookie in Brogdon. Hopefully, you know, able to be awesome and contribute. But then, like you know, Delavadova just gets on everybody's nerves, and just, yeah, you're right. right. Every, everything about him's different than what and you know. What I, you know, I kind of like. It's, as as the year went on, it's Don Baker. I have no idea how old he is, but he uh, he does have some shot blocking, rebounding athleticism that's pretty deep. I like him. That GM's done a really good job, man. He has. Jeff Schwartz done a great job. Yeah, he's done really good. Like Don Baker looks like he's going to end up being a player. This was not a great year for rookies, but you know they got him in the rotation, and that that's a kid that. Yeah, I mean, geez, we never even saw him play in college or anything. It's just the everything about it, it, everything about his whole deal is an odd circumstance. And even even the fact that we call him Don Maker, and I heard uh, I heard Howard Beck earlier this year after he wrote the big profile on him, it's like, what was it, Maker or something? He doesn't even, like it's not even Don Maker, right? Don Maker, which nobody is ever going to call him that. Unfortunately, well, we watched him play in high school all star games for eight years. And, <laughs> you know, as, over the course of that time, it became really evident that he was special. 
All right, got to take a quick break, and then we will get to the Western Conference. All right, we're going to get to the Western Conference playoffs. But first, remind you, tomorrow night on HBO, J. Cole for Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film. Grammy-nominated hip-hop star second HBO special debuts tomorrow, 10 to 11 Eastern time. The exclusive presentation is a multi-narrative show that combines music performances and intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. It showcases songs from the fourth album as well as revealing footage containing heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles of people in the South. Providing a platform for subjects who feel like their stories have not been heard, Cole captures these stories in Baton Rouge, Atlanta, Ferguson, Missouri, Cole's hometown of Fayetteville, North Carolina, and his father's hometown, Jonesboro, Arkansas. J. Cole's album, For Your Eyes Only, was released in December 16, debuting at number one, selling almost half a million units. The New York Times hailed it as one of the year's most finely drawn albums, going on to call Cole a rap star without rap star trappings, a parallel universe champion. Tomorrow night, HBO, J. Cole, For Your Eyes Only, a Dreamville film. Check it out tomorrow night. All right, Bill, so we got Golden State and Portland as the one versus eight. How about this? Portland is 14-5 and five in Nurkic's 19 starts. They got a plus 5.3 point differential. Um, is that too small of a sample, or is it possible that Portland is a really outstanding team now, like that that, is, that, that does matter that they're 14-5 and five in those starts and that they could pose a problem for Golden State or at least push them to where they have to play a game six in Portland? Well, they have two guards that can score. That's a problem. Gold State has always had trouble guarding small guys. That's been the one flaw in their team. Like, Kyrie is the one who has taken advantage of it the most. But, you know, Curry's not a lockdown guy. Some, a lot of times, like, Clay or Iguodala is the guy that has to guard the Lillard type. So, yeah, that. And then Nurkic is not a great matchup for them. He's healthy, you know? Because their crunch time lineup is Durant and Draymond as the rim protectors. They're a little bit vulnerable to the banger types. Portland's not going to be afraid. They're going to have a great home crowd. And then on top of it, they have this Chance the Rapper thing that happened where <laughs> Chance the Rapper gets to the concert at Oracle on the same day as Game 5. So you know that's going to be a thing. And you know that Portland, if the coach is smart, he'll be like, they don't even they think they're going to sweep us. <laughs> they already gave Oracle away. Like, they can do that whole thing. And uh, you know, I don't know. They, <laughs> the thing with when guys come back from injuries, I, I don't think we realize how hard that is sometimes. You know, like Kevin Love came back. It's like, Kevin Love's back. It's like, well, he's back, but he doesn't look like Kevin Love. He's playing himself back into shape. He's working off some rest. And I think with Durant, it's going to be the same thing. Durant's not going to come back and be the guy we saw from November through February when he was just outrageous. And Durant was, he, you know, I thought he was the best night to night efficient guy the first three and a half months of the season. He was just every night watching like, wow, that guy's really good. And I don't know if he just turned that switch back on for the playoffs. So you know, I have a couple couple of hesitations with them. The uh Curry kind of took control of the team again with Durant out. Now Durant's back. How do they figure that out? It's not like they're gonna lose to Portland. But you know, it'll be interesting to see Durant ease his way back in. And so if the right team can kind of throw a couple haymakers at them. And it's like uh, like Steve Nash said on my podcast, when 
when you have a team that hasn't had all the reps yet, it's a big moment, and you have a big moment, everybody starts looking at each other like, all right, are you taking it? Am I taking it? What are, what are we doing here? That's when you become a little bit vulnerable. So, with that said, I, I would bet my life on them winning. Spurs Grizzlies, I will tell you, I, uh, I cried for two hours straight after seeing Tony Allen on crutches yesterday. Yeah, that was tough. That was the tough. worst. The benefits for you, I guess, are, I don't know if the Spurs team has an extra gear. I think they are who they are. It's not like they're flipping a switch. Um, well, here's what I'll say, right? Because obviously I deal with this team all year. The Zach, uh, the Zebo mark thing works for the first time since 2011 against them. Yeah. Pop- Popovich made it his life's work to not let Zebo beat him. But Conley's way better now. I mean, listen, they needed Tony yep. Allen to, to slow down Kawhi, but like in the 61 minutes on the court in the four games this year, Debo and Mark killed them. They were like a plus 19 net rating. And I know that sample size is small, but they always had like a, a Bobon or a splitter to go alongside Duncan that like Debo couldn't, couldn't score on. And now he, he scores on Aldridge. He scores on Powell. He destroys David Lee. So, yeah, I mean, it would have to be this turn-back-the-clock monster Zebo series, but if they got it, it would not be inconceivable if Kawhi is by far the best player in that series, and then the next three best guys are Grizzlies players, Conley, Gasol, and Zebo. And you have the DNA of a lot of reps against them in the playoffs. You beat them famously that one time. Right. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a complete lack of fear. I also like when you play a team in the playoffs, whether it's football or basketball, where they have a best guy on the other team, and one of the things that makes them great is he shuts down whoever. And yet, there's nobody to really shut down on Memphis that plays this position. Right. You have you the guys that matter on Memphis are guys that he wouldn't guard, which is so weirdly fortuitous. And uh, I don't know, is or could this be the last Zebo Tony Allen season too? Another another piece of this and you know it's just like the last one for grit and grind how much emotion is going to be part of that what happens if you can somehow go up three to two have game six at home all the emotions the stands i've been in that arena it's a great place to watch a basketball game i i certainly would not rule out memphis i'm also i'm just not that sold on san antonio I, i'm really not I, i'm not either i, I think i think Think about it this way. It's pretty interesting. Other than Kawhi, every other relevant guy on that team was better three years ago. All of them. Gasol, Aldridge, Tony Parker, Danny Green, Manu. Patty Mills is probably the only one who's the same or a tiny bit better. But And like Jonathan you know, Kawhi's better. And dead, dead yeah, and then, dead. then you get into guys who've never been in a playoff series really sure. in a big role before. They have a bunch of them. So. Right. There's been Spurs teams like this in the past that look good in the regular season and then got to the playoffs and didn't have the extra gear, and I wonder if that's going to be the case this time. Because if you only have to prepare for them, like it just the system just works in the regular season on a night-to-night basis. They just they're going to rack up tons of regular season wins, but when somebody yeah. can just just make it their life's work to try to deal with them, you know, and you're playing. It's them. a little like a, like a couple of those Patriot teams. 
post Brady ACL, but before they started going back to the Super Bowl, it's like oh nine, two thousand ten, like very good regular season, the infrastructure work, and then the playoffs came, they didn't have another gear. Houston, Oklahoma City. Houston feels like it's a great matchup for them. Westbrook's terrifying. I don't know if Westbrook has an extra gear. I don't think it matters. He's already in that <laughs> gear. An extra gear. What's he going to average, 40 and 20? I'll say this, though. If he tries to play the same way he played this season, they're going home in five. They, it, he's got to trust his teammates. They, they, that recipe has never worked in the playoffs. The I'm going to hog the ball and do everything, and you guys are just my henchmen. That does not work in the playoffs. Allen Iverson's calling in right now. Allen Iverson did that during one of the talent poorest seasons that we've had and also got gifted with some of the most unbelievable officiating of all time, not just near the end of that Toronto series, but then in the Milwaukee series, which was a crime against justice. And all the Bucks fans know what the fuck I'm talking about. The Bucks were the best team in the East that year. Um, I don't think if you took that Iverson team and put that in, the, in these playoffs, they're like a seven seed. The league's so much better now. You could, you could never do that. In fact, we're watching somebody do it right now. It's OKC. It's the same recipe. No, I, I, I do think this, right? I and, and this goes to the whole supporting cast, and I guess we'll see if you trust them or not. Like, it's probably going to take this where I – let's say I slot in Westbrook for 40 points a game, right? Which that seems crazy, but it, it maybe probably not. All right, so 40 points a game, right? It's probably going to take 115 on average to win those games. So, like, where are the other 75 coming from? Their their way of winning it, to me, is rebounding defense in Westbrook. In that right. They got to they gotta just dominate the board. Which, you know, when they have Taj out there with Adam, and then Westbrook flying in and getting rebounds, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. It does seem like they get all the rebounds. You look at the end, it's like, did they out-rebound them 70 to 30? Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, defensively, Robertson on Harden, he's not going to stop Harden, but they have somebody throw at him, and Olin Depot is a backup plan. Um, but I, I just think Houston's better. And I, yeah. I love their role players. I, lo- I just love the, the team, how it complements each other. I like the fact that when Harden has to take a break, their offense doesn't suffer at all, whereas OKC does. And it, you know, people, this is why I hate the, you know, some of those plus minus stats and when he's on the court, off the court. Like, of course, OKC's worst, the worst on the court. They're the worst backup point guard in the league, you know? Right. Uh, of course, that's going to suffer. But uh, I I think this is, this is a gambling stay away. Don't bet against Westbrook. Clippers, Utah. At the beginning of the podcast, you were down on the Clippers, even though I said they're like they were like forty-two and eighteen or something in the sixty games that Chris Paul was able to play this year. Which was, I mean, they had a great winning percentage when Paul was available. But you're down on them. I'm down on them. This is a great matchup for them. This is the team. If you were the Clippers, this is the team you wanted to play because they they've had success. I went to. I saw two of their games this year. I saw one where they, they blew the game late in Utah when when they did just a classic Clippers chokeroo. And then I went to one that Hayward was a little banged up, but they took care of business in the fourth quarter. One of the things that really helps the Clippers in this series, they, 
their crowd, when they play a team that's like a quote-unquote public team, you end up with five to 8,000 fans from the other team in the building because of the secondary market, because the Clippers don't have a ton of fans in the first place. So, like, if they played OKC in a series, it would be like an English soccer match. You'd have 8,000 Westbrook fans in the arena, and it would really change the dynamic, and I think it bums the players out. I, I think the Clippers just have a terrible home court advantage. And uh, and in this case, like, you know, there's going to be 10 million jazz fans there. Like, are there any jazz fans in L.A.? I think so. from that standpoint, they'll actually have a good home court advantage for South South. And, you know, the the Gobert-DeAndre thing, that kind of works in their favor a little bit. I don't know. I, I think I'd be surprised if they didn't win this series. What, by the way, if they didn't win this series, what a way for this to end. I mean, to never get to round three, to lose in round one, you'd have to blow it up. I don't think Doc comes back. They have to choose between Chris and Blake, all that stuff. So pretty that the, the stakes are the highest in this series for the future of a team, I think. If they, the Clippers don't get out of this series, that's it. It's done. They blow it up. After, you know, you had that podcast with Ballmer earlier this year. What do you think of him? I liked him. He's got a lot of energy. I, I think... You know, he basically admitted I made some mistakes the first couple of years I ran this team. I, I did some things I wish I could take back. I'm sure one of them was giving Doc the uh, the level of power that he gave him. Um, you know, it's 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 a flawed roster to have Reddick and Jamal Crawford and Austin Rivers doesn't make a lot of sense to me. To have just they've never been able to figure out that small forward spot. They've had a hundred people that they've brought in. They've never had the right guy. And uh and just Chris and Blake together, it just feels like it should work more than it does. So I don't know. We'll see. This is it. This is the referendum. Year six. You can't pull it off year six. You gotta you gotta do plan B. All right, last thing. If it's uh now that we know all the matchups and the way this is gonna uh play out bracket wise. If it's not Golden State versus Cleveland in the finals at two, it's Golden State versus somebody different from these. Yeah, I mean, I I, I already bet on Golden State Toronto just because of the odds. You know, when you what make bets, you're you're making a. I think it was fourteen to one at the time. Now it's like, or maybe it was more than that. Now it's like nine to one. I can't remember, but gotcha. uh, I think. I think Raptors Rockets would be the best long shot bet. Raptors Rockets. The uh, yeah, because I don't think the Spurs could be Golden State in the series. I don't see anybody else in the conference beating them. The Rockets are the one team that could just get hot for four games. Harden could win two. You have the one game where Lou Williams goes for forty-one points, makes ten threes, or gets to the line twenty times, or something stupid. And then you have the one game that Golden State just sucks. And that's how they sneak it out in seven. I, I don't think it'll happen, but there's at least a roadmap for it happening. I, I think that's the only team. And then Toronto, you know, they have a chance to just take down Cleveland around two, just get it over with, cut the head off, do it. And uh, I don't know. I, I think Tor- I, I would bet on Toronto in the East. I think it's the safest, smartest, smartest bet of all the teams. And I'm a huge fucking homer too. I, if if my team, if I felt good about my team, <laughs> I, I would totally be like, my team, watch out for it. I, I, I'd just be surprised. 
the fact that they didn't do anything at the trade deadline, to me, that's like an indictment that you don't think your team's good enough. You know, everybody else made a trade. Everyone. And the Celtics were kind of like, we're good. We're, we're like a year away. We're okay. Like, I, I don't understand how you don't do anything. So that tells me that they don't think this team's good enough. I'm tar- I, I, well, one last conspiracy theory. Bill Simmons is yes. turning the Celtics single-handedly into the nobody believes in us one seed. I, I don't think I have that power. I, I think they're doing it by the fact that they haven't really made three since the All-Star break. But our, our, our own our own general manager doesn't believe in us even. <laughs> it's true. I uh, I'll say this though: it's a freaking lovable Celtics team. That I really do like. Uh, when they have it going and they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, they're fantastic. And maybe that's that's the X factor for them in the playoffs: the chip on the shoulder. We haven't seen the chip like this season as frequently as we did last year. The guys. You know, Isaiah is one of the best 15 players in the league now. People know who Jay Crowder is. People know who Avery Bradley is. You go on down the line, like, these guys have gotten a little respect. So, we haven't seen the night-to-night chip. But maybe in the playoffs, we'll see it. I can't wait to watch them all unfold this weekend. You the man. Thanks, Bill. All right, Verno. Take care. Thanks again to HBO. J. Cole, for your eyes only, a Dreamville film tomorrow night on HBO, the Grammy-nominated hip-hop star second HBO special. The exclusive presentation is a multi-narrative show that combines music performances with intimate interviews documented through Cole's lens. Special showcases songs for the fourth album as well as footage containing heartfelt confessions, concerns, and struggles with people in the South. Tomorrow night... HBO, the premiere, J. Cole, for your eyes only, a Dreamville film, exclusively on HBO.